You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. On this episode, the guys talk about certain deer calls and attractants that could possibly be used to get deer within shooting range. Topics of discussion in this episode include baiting, deer urine, grunt tubes and rattling antlers, and even calling strategy. Keep your ears open. Lots of great information in this episode. All right, everyone, this is episode 10, and today we're going to be talking about deer calls and attractants. And I think the whole point of this episode is to talk about if there's something that we can do to get deer that we see to get closer to us for a shot opportunity and there's a lot of different thoughts and um, ideologies uh, I'll say when it comes to to this and I think what I would like to start off with is bait okay in certain states you can put a pile of food that deer eat in front of you Uh, in certain states like Iowa that is illegal. You cannot do that. So it's very important that you check with your, uh, your state's rules and regulations on how, uh, on, on if you can do that or not. But what is, what's the thought process with bait, Hank? Um, I mean, being a Southern state person, we grew up with baiting. Uh, you know, it, it was right. legal. It, it's, it's practiced fairly heavily. Um, you know, a lot of the research shows that it might not be much of an advantage, that leaving food on the ground for the deer kind of makes them more nocturnal. But again, you know, when I go back and forth on baiting, which, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of, but I think it's like a mental game where people think they have a better chance of seeing deer because that's in front of them. And yeah. that may keep them there longer or keep them in the game in their head to where they're more successful. But I, I really don't think that the baiting is as productive as, as the proponents think it is. And, um, you know, I think learning to read how deer use the property and that kind of stuff that we've gone over is much more important to, to killing deer than 
you know, putting that bait pile where you want them. Yeah. You're exactly right, actually. The research does show that deer tend to be less susceptible to harvest uh, over time once bait or minerals have been out, been put out. They, they tend to avoid those areas during daylight. They use them. Use is still uh, good and high, um, and a lot of people consider use meaning they need it. Um, they don't necessarily need that. Deer have evolved to eat what's naturally growing out there, but it's an attractant. That's what it is. It's not a, something that they need to eat. And they, just like my kids, don't need potato chips and lollipops. They want it. And uh, if I put it out, they're going to eat it. Um, that's kind of the same thing. One thing, Dan, though, to, to consider, absolutely do you need to check your, your state's regulations. And the reason I am doubling down on what you said there is just because it is legal or illegal, um, it may still be available for sale. There are cases in this country yes. where it is for sale. Um but retail outlets are not governed by the same laws and regulations that your state agencies are. And it can be confusing for new or seasoned hunters to go to your local store and see the stuff on the shelves, yet it is illegal to use in that state. Yeah. So you need to do your due diligence to look to see if it is. And the reason it might be illegal is that some of these locations um, have d uh, issues with diseases, um, deer do carry some diseases uh, that they pass communicable diseases that they will pass between each other. And it's been found that um, in situations where you might have deer eating or, or licking the same source, they would pass it between each other, just like if my kids sneeze on one, each, one, one another. Um, so they become outlawed. They may have historically been available or, or legal there, and then they become outlawed. In some states, there's areas that it is illegal and, and in some areas that it's legal. So you do need to kind of do your due diligence there and learn about it. Yeah. And there are some states like Iowa where I can put before and after the season. And there are time frames there that I need to be uh, aware of where I can put out a mineral attractant. And the reason I do that is so the deer come in front of my trail cameras so I can get more pictures of them so I can see what deer are in the area. So I know what deer to hunt. With that said, that mineral stays in the ground for long periods of time and I cannot hunt anywhere near where that mineral site is or where, let's say, I, I dump corn before the season or, or after the season to get an idea um, where the deer are at. I can't hunt anywhere close to, to where those are at. So outside the scope of like issues like diseases, the biological issues, the other reasons why some of those things become... Um, outlawed like in the middle of the season where in states you can do it prior to and post is that by you know generally speaking uh we're uh the hunting public in this country is a pretty small percentage what does it think about five percent five percent of five percent of all american citizens hunt um from the non-hunting side uh, when you talk to to them about what hunters do and if you bring up the words bait or minerals it has a pretty negative connotation. It seems unfair, even though we just told you the research shows that it, that it uh, isn't the case. And hunting's not our right. We don't have, you know, it's not our God-given right to go hunting. That's, that's something that we get to do because all citizens in the U.S. view hunting in a favorable way because it manages populations. It's done fairly. There's fair chase. Um, and that... Uh, what am I missing here? Meat. Uh, yeah, that we're doing it for the meat. Thank right. you. So those are all things that the public accepts hunting. But when you start throwing words in like bait or minerals or even beyond that, 
trophies and there's other connotations general hunting public uh, general support by the public falls and so we want to continue hunting um state agencies know that hunting are vital to regulating deer populations and other game so they may change the laws in the middle of the season even though if they don't have a biological issue there like a disease spreading they may say okay we're not going to do that during the season during the season you can't do that and sit over that because the general public in for example the state of iowa don't favor that yeah and they're managing the state agency is managing as we mentioned in the in the first episode i think for the entire public they're right. managing for everybody right so there are different varieties of attractants right we've talked about the food and the digestible kind right the mineral uh, we've talked about bait piles a little bit um knowing if they're illegal or not and there are some other attractants like urine based or uh, even deer gland scents that are are for sale um Hank, do you do you use them at all? Do you have do you get questions from new hunters about uh, urine or a gland based sense? We definitely get questions, but it, you know it's part of that gigantic marketing arm that we've talked about many a times. Um, I mean, the the scent based industry has been a huge you know it, it's come on and it's a big part of the industry, and you can buy you know real deer urine that's mm-hmm. being harvested from deer farms, you know, collected from deer farms and you can buy synthetic, you know, deer scents. Um, I, I'm not a user of either. Um, you know, with all this, I kind of go back and forth within my head of whether I want deer to think there's something there or them just to be oblivious to any threat or any, you know, attractant or anything. But if you're in the right spot, you know, hopefully you'll have deer coming by nonetheless. But, um, I am really not a subscriber to this sense. Yeah. I think this whole episode, what we're talking about, all the items, um, legal or not, doesn't matter. When we talk about the gear you need versus the gear you want, many of these things, you don't need it. Yeah. Um, you may want it, and if it's legal, if it is legal to use, great, you should use it. But uh, you don't need any of these things. You don't need bait. You don't need minerals. You don't need some of these synthetic smelling things to bring deer in. Uh, you can go sit and hunt without any of them. Yeah. I will say that there is a, I don't do it a lot, but I think for the purpose of this, uh, this episode, I want to talk about it. And that is the, the, the thought of a mock scrape. We've talked about how deer will leave, uh, um, exposed patches of dirt on the ground they will urinate in them and what that is is like it's a a signpost for all these other deer to come in and the 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 idea behind setting up a mock scrape use throwing some whether it's synthetic or or real deer urine in that uh, scrape you know you you make a uh, a bare spot on the ground with your boot you spray a little deer scent in it and you put a trail camera over top of that and with the goal of attracting bucks or all deer really to that as a you know like that and in, in a lot of states that is legal to do it's not a bait but it's a way of getting deer to come into a specific area i've done that in the past with uh during uh close to some of my tree stands uh sometimes it works sometimes it it doesn't but it, it's it's an 
it's a talked about method that uh, that might be something you want to look into on how, yeah. to, how to prepare a, a mock scrape. I've used I've used them before, and like you said, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, you don't need uh, urine that you purchase to do that because remember what a scrape is is a visual and a smelling based uh, sign for deer. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I'll just kick the, the leaves away or make a spot and put a camera on it. Sometimes deer use it, sometimes they don't. But yep. the visual part of it is just as important as the smell. Um, and not to be gross but i've actually urinated in those places my play in myself there's research out there believe it or not they've looked at the differences of attractiveness between human or manufactured or um, real deer urine and actually the the human uh, urine attracts deer just at the same rate as yeah. as that so uh, you know i don't need to go buy that stuff uh sometimes i will go myself <laughs> so basically you just need a bottle of water yeah yeah <laughs> matt likes to leave his calling card too yeah hey yeah, i'm here chase dominant buck yeah. the dominant buck yeah um the next i am the oldest here <laughs> <laughs> but you're on your downhill slide <laughs> the uh the next uh is calls okay and i'm gonna be honest with you I love to rattle, and what rattling is is a uh, a simulated deer fight, and a lot of hunters will take a pair of old shed antlers, or you can take a rattling bag, and it basically um, imitates the sound of two deer fighting. You can hear the antlers cracking. From a biological standpoint, Matt, what is it in a rattling sequence that triggers other deer to come in and you know with the hopes of a big buck coming in or a deer coming in sure so uh from a a biological side so again we talked about dominance in the deer herd Um, if there are two what sounds like a buck fight is occurring and there is a a dominant deer or thinks he's dominant deer within earshot of that again remember they hear as well as we do not better um if if within earshot you, a buck that's standing there that you can't see hears what sounds like two bucks fighting and he doesn't know which two deer they are he may come in and investigate to see whether or not those are deer that he can beat up if they should be there if they should be fighting because he thinks he's the the top buck in the area so yeah. that, that's the intent of doing this rattling um, there's been research done on that as well um, what they found at the project that w- that did this research was based out of Texas. Um, was the f- was they found is that generally people probably don't rattle loud enough. You can rattle pretty loudly um, in terms of how often you rattle. Um, you could do it pretty frequently, especially during the peak rut. Um, every once every fifteen minutes is not too often because deer are moving around a lot that time of year. Um, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of chaos in the, the breeding season. Deer are running around chasing each other. So within a 15-minute time period, deer are moving a lot, so you may be catching the ears of, of other deer. Um, do, you, do you need to do it? I've tried rattling way more unsuccessfully than I've tried successfully. Um, I have called or rattled in bucks that I've killed before, so it does work. Mm-hmm. I can attest to that. But it's not like every time I rattle bucks come running in, at least yeah. not in the state that I hunt on hunt in, but it does work. Yeah. Um, what I would say is in, in terms of choosing to do that, um 
I generally use a, a, a synthetic or, or it's not real deer antlers. It's more of that rattling bag type thing you mentioned. Yeah. It's not quite that, but because it fits in my pack easier, I do have real antlers that I will carry with me sometimes. Um, but if you're going to choose to do that, picking the time of year that's appropriate is pretty key. Yeah. You're not, you're going to want to watch the deer sign that we've taught you about and pay attention to the things that are telling you that it's the peak of the breeding season before you start doing that, because that's likely not going to happen in the pre pre rot or the pre breeding season. You're not yeah. going to see bucks fighting in, in my state, October. Right. Um, they're not doing it then they're doing it when the peak of the breeding is occurring and there's a lot of movement and deer are interacting with deer. They've never met before where you get the curiosity of that deer up to the point where you might get them to come in. Well, and I think that's the key word. Deer would be a lot safer if they weren't so curious. Yeah. You know, they are just curious by nature and it gets them in trouble. You can make a few mistakes in the woods, but sometimes they just are so curious. They've got to come figure out what's doing something. Yeah. And they open themselves up for harvest. So as you get to know deer a little more, that curiosity is one of their biggest downfalls. I I can attest to that as well. I've, I've, hunted in situations where I've made noise that I thought I just ruined my hunt. Uh, going back to earlier episode, talking about climbing stands where I dropped the two pieces of the climbing stand together and it made this giant metallic rattling sound. And, uh, I climbed this tree anyway and I was like, well, I'll just, I'll hunt anyway. And it actually called in it like a buck came in that I killed that he didn't know what the noise was, but he wanted to know what it was. I was barely in the tree, and the, and he clearly had come to that sound. Yeah. But there are downfalls yeah. to calling a deer, trying to, you know, you see a deer, you rattle him in, and there are times when that can backfire. You, you They, again, are going to try to scent, catch whatever made that noise in their nose, Right. There, you'll see it in hunting videos, and, and uh, as you start to do more research, you'll see videos of deer walking straight lines right to you. However, from experience, there's a lot of times where they will take a big loop down behind you to try to catch the scent of whatever made that noise before they come in. And oftentimes, that's your scent. Then they don't come in. So... Yes, there are benefits to trying to call a deer in, but at the same time, it's a risk versus reward type thing. Like, are you willing to risk getting busted to get this deer closer to you or, or not? So I personally have learned, I, I love rattling. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm going after a particular deer, I've learned to leave my rattling antlers in the car and just bring my grunt tube. That's me. The other call that I just said is a grunt. And, uh, Matt talked about the grunt, uh, the, the vocalization that bucks do when they're chasing deer or when they're just walking through the countryside. Um, first Matt kind of elaborate again on what a grunt call actually is and how a, a hunter can, simulate a grunt call to try to get other deer to come in sure so the grunt call is again it's mostly bucks does will grunt 
um, but it's that guttural sound. It's om- it's nasal where they're they're uh, you're doing a great job with it, Dan. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. And bucks will do that either by ch- when in mid chase chasing a doe. That's probably the most common. The doe's not receptive to breeding yet, but she's close, and he is excited, so he's he is grunting as he's chasing. Um, there are times where uh, a buck is in search for a doe, and he is just trotting is probably the right word uh, to, to think about not running but just working his way through cover um and he just can't help himself basically he's grunting as he's going and it's that vocalization that's telling other bucks in the area i'm here if there's any does in the area and she's receptive he's telling them i'm here um so it's very much tied to breeding um Again, that's a timing thing. I wouldn't be doing a lot of heavy grunting with a with a call. They sell calls. Um, they're tubes mm-hmm. for the most part that have a reed in them. Um, there's a there's a mouthpiece that has a reed in it. Um, usually, those reeds have the an adjustment on it with like a little rubber band or something that pinches the reed to make it either shorter or longer to make the the grunt sound either deeper or not quite as deep. And so you can kind of change the pitch if you're trying to sound more dominant and older and kind of bigger or more middle-aged or more immature. You can change the tone and pitch of that grunt. And then the tube part is just an extension that accordions out that allows you to extend that sound. Um, I'm a big fan of the grunt call. I, I, I do rattle, but not a lot. And I do it at a certain time. And I like taking the grunt call with me all year long, but I don't really use it early season. I will use it probably the most frequently that time period after scrapes have kind of peaked and just before the peak of the rut when things are just starting to get going. And my thought process there with the biology in mind, and again, this is not a guarantee. I've called deer in. I'm probably scared deer too, but and I know I have, is that... All the, the peak of breeding is when the most number of does are receptive to being bred. Just prior to that is basically the pinnacle of when bucks are excited because does are not quite ready, but they are. Yeah. And so grunting um, is not quite when a lot of the fighting is happening. It's starting, but grunting is when the bucks are on their feet, probably the most in search of does. And my thought process anyway, and you, you guys chime in as well is that a grunt at that time of year may key in on a doe that's ready and she's a little ahead of others and or and if she comes in maybe she'll drag a real deer with her because there's i'm just simulating a deer yeah or uh, it may call a buck that is in the area and within your shot that's like there's another buck over there grunting maybe there's a doe nearby or i want to go check that buck out that's when i use it the most okay um, there are times where um, and I don't blind, when I say blind call, just calling. just Without seeing without deer. Without seeing deer, just calling without yeah. seeing deer. I don't do that a lot, but that's the time of year I will use it. Yeah. The secondary reason that I use any kind of deer call, particularly the grunt call, is that if I see a deer, like so if I'm in my stand or in, blind, in the blind or whatever, and I'm watching a deer that I'm pretty sure is a buck or I can identify a buck moving and he's at a pretty good pace and he's not coming near me, I may use a grunt at that time to tell him, hey, there's a deer over here. But once I catch his attention, 
he'll stop to listen, I don't do it again. Right. I, I just get it to get his attention because I don't want him to do what Dan just said is pinpoint exactly where the sound's coming from. I want him to come in kind of unaware of where I am, but just to turn him yeah. and get him to come towards me. And, and that is what Hank mentioned. It's that the curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. And that is one of my favorite strategies when it comes to calling deer is I, I don't do much blind calling unless I see a deer. Once you become experienced in um, reading body language, uh, maybe you see in the distance a, a buck raking a tree, making a scrape or a rub. That is an indication to me that that uh, buck is feeling a little aggressive and he wants to maybe tango a little bit. And in which case I might rattle or in which case I might grunt. Um, obviously a grunt call is not as loud and you may not be able to, uh, you may, he may not be able to hear that, but when he comes through outside of shooting range, that one to get their attention and then stop calling because over calling can cause trouble in a scenario like this. It's uh, it's a good tactic. You just said something that that I also try to do is I try to do the call when I think they can't hear it super well. Yeah. Even though I know that my my ability, unless they're really far away, um, but if they're within reasonable distance that I think they could turn and look at me, I try to do it when they're walking yeah. or when they're actually like if he, he's raking a tree because their their ability to hear again i'm saying it again they is not about the same as us so if just think about it like if you just heard a noise in the woods but you're not really sure where it is you're probably going to say i think it came from over in that direction but if it's stone quiet and you grunt or you rattle they're, they're going to turn their head because they're going to cup their ears and say that came from right there yeah. and know exactly where you're whether you're on the ground or not they're going or in the tree they're they're going to have a better idea where it came from absolutely yeah you'll see their ability to triangulate like they might be out of sight and you make a call but they can almost come to where you made that call they yeah. they can pinpoint where those noises come from yeah absolutely i, I use a grunt call a lot to stop a deer yeah you know, um i don't do, use it a lot for calling but you know when it when i think the action's going to be fast i keep it around my neck on a lanyard you know i want it ready to go but i use it to stop a deer to take a shot and and Gosh, if you get on YouTube or whatever and watch some hunting shows, I, th- I think it's overused in today's world that people think they have to make a noise to, to then take a shot. You know, if a deer is calm and not alert, it's a good time to take a shot, and we'll get into that later. But um, y- if they are moving and you want to try to stop them in a shooting lane or something, a, a grunt call can be advantageous. Remember what we said a few minutes ago, though, is a lot of the things in this episode categorize on on uh, want not need yeah and you just said something uh hank that is true you don't need to purchase a grunt call dan just did it with he doesn't have one with his mouth you can make a noise that uh, emulates that without purchasing it um so any of these items these attractants these calls um are good to have in your arsenal but you don't need them exactly i've heard plenty of people stop a deer with hey yeah you know when they're in desperation but I will say I do carry one other call in my um, pack sometimes, um, and it was probably just because one was given to me, but I carry a predator call, a little um, hand-blown. It's two-sided, and I'm imagining it emulates like a little rodent that's being killed and a, a rabbit or something, but there are squealing sounds. But with the, 
the advent of a lot of coyotes and stuff, I have found it enjoyable when you see a coyote or something to try to call it in as well. But I do, I do carry a little predator call in my pack. And that brings up an excellent uh, point there uh, about coyotes. Depending on where you hunt sometimes um, and how you access your tree stands, uh, you're going to have deer potentially get by you without a shot opportunity, and they're going to be at the destination that you need to walk through in order to get back to your vehicle, thus potentially bumping deer out of that field and and disturbing the area. You know, in, like deer will know that you're there, and they it may take a couple days or maybe even longer for that place to rebound and natural deer movement to come back into play. I have heard people take coyote calls or other predator calls with them and before they get out of the stand to clear the field out because this is a natural non-human threat they'll blow that coyote call or make a coyote noise to to clear it out just another thought process do you need it no but it's a it's a method that people use thanks for listening to today's episode If you want to find out more information and utilize additional resources, visit DeerAssociation.com slash Hunting 101. There you will find links to the YouTube series, Guide to Successful Deer Hunting ebook, New Hunter sign-up sheets, and Deer Hunting 101 courses. Additionally, you can listen to more outdoor-themed podcasts at SportsmansNation.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you download your podcasts.